0: Verses in that chapter. Uh, chapter 24 and verses 29 to 33, that's page 241 in the Church Bible. Just a f- the last a few verses there in Joshua 24. As I said at the beginning, the book of Joshua ends. Uh, Really how it started, actually, with, um, rather than one funeral, which it began with, it ends with these three, well, two funerals and one uh, reburial. So therefore, as we look at this uh, end of the book, we have to think about death, because we see the graves here, don't we? As we look at the end of Joshua, it forces us to go in that direction, but it's not a direction that really our minds and our hearts ever really want to go. We only really think of death when it's forced upon us, either when we face illness or somebody else faces illness or we go to a funeral. And with life expectancy increasing and new technology being found all the time, uh, people spend all their lives almost trying to avoid not just thinking about death, but avoiding death altogether. Now, as Christians, we're not to jump up and down enjoy every time someone dies? Of course not. In fact, we know that death is painful. It's no different for Christians. Paul says to die is gain, but that's our own death, isn't it? We know that to die is gain, but we suffer and we struggle with pain at the death of others. We know that that was the case for our Lord Jesus, for he wept at the grave of Lazarus. He wept knowing what was going to happen, that Lazarus was going to come back to life, but he wept because death is an intrusion into his world. It's painful, and we suffer because of the pain of death. But for the Christian, death is presented as painful, but it's never presented for us as a problem. Death is not a problem for us, because we know that when we die, we go to be with the Lord. I think I said when we prayed that for the Christian, sin is an ongoing problem, not death. And if we worried as much about sin as we do about death, we would live much more godly lives, wouldn't we? But as painful as death is, we should think about it because when we think about death, it helps us to live in the light of eternity. We should use death and these deaths here as motivations for us to live for godliness. As Paul said, for me to live is Christ." And as we think about death this evening and these deaths, I don't want us to go away depressed about death, but rather inspired and motivated to live for Christ, knowing that our death can come at any moment and will certainly come at some point. So we want to make the most, don't we, of this life? We want to make the most of living for Jesus now because we know that we've got eternity with him in heaven, but a short space of time to live for him and for his glory now. So as we look at these three uh, men who are being buried, we see Joshua, we see Joseph, and we see Eleazar. And as we look at these three burials, we see lessons from beyond three graves. So let's turn, well, hopefully you've turned there, but let's read uh, that passage now. Joshua 24, verses 29 to 33. After these things, Joshua... Son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110. And they buried him in the the land of his inheritance, at Timnath-Sarah, in the hill country of Ephraim, north of Mount Gash. Israel served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua, and of the elders who outlived him, and who had experienced everything the Lord had done for Israel. And Joseph's bones which the Israelites had brought up from Egypt, were buried at Shechem in the tract of land that Jacob bought for a hundred pieces of silver from the sons of Hamor, the father of Shechem. This became the inheritance of Joseph's descendants. And Eleazar, son of Aaron, died and was buried at Gibeah, which had been allotted to his son Phinehas in the hill country of Ephraim. This is God's word. Well, we come to the end of the book, and as I said, it starts, really, in a similar way to It Began. At the beginning of the book of Joshua, we read, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord. And it ends with the death of Joshua, son of Nun, the servant of the Lord. And in both cases, we see the end of an era. When Moses died, it was the end of an era for Israel the end of the, 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 the leadership of the great man of God, Moses. And Joshua comes in and takes his place. And here we come to another end of an era, the end of the conquest led by Joshua. And we see that he's buried, but also his uh, high, the, the, the priest that worked with him, Eleazar, also dies. It, you get the sense that an era is ending. And this whole chapter, 24, was a remembrance chapter. And these final reminders in chapter 24 are a reminder relating to death, that we must keep death in mind, and it reminds us, as we do this, of some important truths relating to our death. So let's look at three truths from these graves. First of all, we see that death reminds us to be God's servants here and now. We see at the beginning of the book of Joshua that Joshua was not called the servant of the Lord. We see that was the title reserved for Moses. Moses was the servant of the Lord. Joshua is called Moses' aide. And in fact, that's Joshua's title throughout the uh, books preceding Joshua as well. He's always known as Moses' assistant. And in the book of Joshua, until he dies, he's never called the servant of the Lord. Part of the storyline of this book is the journey of Joshua from being the assistant of Moses to being the servant of the Lord. And we have seen how Joshua has been a servant of the Lord. In the first message we looked at in Joshua as we introduced the book, we saw that he was the best equipped man for the task of leading Israel. After Moses, he had the character, he had the ability, and he, of course, had the calling from God to do the work of leading Israel into the Promised Land. And as we look through the book of Joshua and we see his life, we see that he used those gifts that God had given him to complete the task that God had given him to do. When it says at the beginning of this passage, after these things, what were these things? These things were this, the covenant being renewed, In the land that God had given them, which Joshua had led them into, his work was complete. When he died, he could say, along with Paul the Apostle, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Joshua could say that same thing. His job, his task had been done. He was a servant of the Lord. As we've looked through the book of Joshua, we've seen how he was a servant of the Lord in his obedience to God's commands his holiness of life, his public spiritedness. Do you remember how he waited to the very end of the allocation of land before he took his? He waited for everybody else. He put himself last. He put everyone else first. And as we read through the book of Joshua, it it appears to us that he wasn't perfect, of course, but he kept this until the end of his days. He was a servant of the Lord, but it was only after his death that he was given this title. And this tells us two things. It's a reminder not to be interested in titles in this life. Joshua served the Lord without worrying about being called the servant of the Lord. He just served the Lord. And after he died, his epitaph was a servant of the Lord. It's interesting, isn't it, that Joshua is a book of conquest and victory. You know, we've just uh, celebrated a victorious battle. And uh, the Wellington was the Duke of Wellington, wasn't he? He wasn't Wellington the servant of such and such. When you read about William the Conqueror or Alexander the Great, these are, are conquerors, aren't they? But Joshua dies having done a great conquest, and he's called Joshua, the servant of the Lord. He wasn't bothered about being called a conqueror. He was a servant of the Lord. And it's a lesson for us, isn't it? Let's not be bothered about what our titles are or what other people think of us. Let's be concerned about being a servant of the Lord. You know, if I die, when I die, if the Lord, unless the Lord returns before, if on my grave it just says, Stephen Hope, a servant of the Lord. Let's, let's be happy with just that. Let's not worry about anything else. Let's just be a servant of the Lord. But the other lesson we learn here with Joshua is that he was a servant until the end. It says he died at 110. And when he died, that's when he got given the title, the servant of the Lord. It reminds us, doesn't it, as we've been singing to keep serving the Lord until we die. Only when we've died and we've kept serving God Till the end can we be truly called a servant of the Lord. We need to keep going. Paul, I have kept the faith. I have fought the good fight. I finished the race. I have kept the faith. He keeps going. Let us keep going until the end. Most of us probably won't live to 110. Joshua did. He kept serving until the end. And we keep serving God by keep following his word in our lives. Not giving up when it's difficult, but keep on following what our king, who we serve, commands us to do. And it's worth it, isn't it? Where was Joshua buried? In the land of promise that God had promised him. And for us, we know that it's worth it in the end. What did Paul say? There is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. It's worth it in the end if we keep serving God. It's not worth giving up. It's always worth keeping going, always worth following through on what God tells us to do, even when it's hard, because in the end, we know that it's worth it. But how do we do this? How are we able to keep following the Lord? Well, we look to the great servant of the Lord. This title, the servant of the Lord, is a significant title in the scriptures. In fact, it's not used for many people. The title goes to Abraham... It goes to Moses. It goes to Joshua. It goes to David. The prophets are called the servants of the Lord. Even Nebuchadnezzar was called the servant of the Lord. But they're really the only ones that this title was given to. But really, Jesus Christ was the servant of the Lord, that all the other servants of the Lord were pointing towards. And of course, we know Joshua is a person that points forward to Jesus. His name means the same, God saves. And Jesus was the suffering servant. He's the one that died in our place on the cross. He's the servant that rose from the dead. He's the servant that has ascended to be with God the Father. And he's the servant that sent us the Holy Spirit, that enables us to be the servants of the Lord ourselves but in these funerals there are other lessons we can learn too we can learn about being a servant of the Lord but as we are servants of the Lord and as we walk with God we don't walk alone these deaths remind us that as we walk we need to receive and pass on the baton of the faith Look at the impact of Joshua's ministry in verse 31. It says, Israel served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and of the elders who outlived him and who had had experienced everything the Lord had done for Israel. Our lives have an impact on others, especially those of the generation below us. In Revelation chapter 14 and verse 13 We read, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. And then it goes on to say, their deeds will follow them. Our deeds follow us. We have an influence. It might be a bad influence. I pray it's a good influence, but we influence others around us. And Joshua's life and leadership caused others to serve the Lord. He passed the baton on to others who outlived him. And their life and leadership caused Israel to serve the Lord. Joshua and the elders had experienced the Lord at work in their lives. And this caused them to serve the Lord. It seems this was true of the priesthood too. Look down at verse 33. We see another burial in verse 33, the burial of Eleazar, the son of Aaron. It says, Eleazar, son of Aaron, died and was buried at Gibeah which had been allotted to his son Phineas in the hill country of Ephraim. We see that the priesthood, that baton was passed on to Phineas. And in Phineas we know that he is a good and godly man. Uh, Phineas is known mostly from Numbers 25. We won't go there because there's not a lot of time uh, to do that. But in that chapter, Israel was in the midst of committing Uh, Sexual immorality with Moabite women. And God was angry with Israel. He was judging Israel. And it was Phinehas who was described as being zealous for the Lord. It says he was zealous for the Lord. And in his zeal, he put to death a couple who were committing sexual immorality when Israel was supposed to be judging those who were guilty. This couple disregarded that and uh, uh, Phinehas came out of a, of, a, of a meeting with the leaders and he went to the tent and he put to death those who were causing this awful sin in Israel. And because of this zeal, the Bible says in that chapter that God made a covenant with Phineas, a lasting covenant that the priesthood would always be with his house, with his line. And in Psalm 106 and verses 30 to 31, we read how Phineas' zeal was credited to him as righteousness. In other words, that zeal that he had showed he was a believer in God and a follower of Him. So, this spiritual leadership was going from Eleazar down to Phineas. Phineas was a godly man who was able to take the baton on. And we see that end of an era and that passing on to the next generation in this passage. The work of judicial and spiritual leadership in Israel was being passed on so that Israel would continue to serve the Lord beyond the current generation. Important lessons for us there, aren't there? We will not go on forever. As we uh, have been thinking about death, we realize that it will probably come to all of us. And so we need to be constantly looking to the next generation and passing on what we know to them so they can continue with the ministry. Sometimes in our pride, we can hold on to ministries or hold on to information. I remember this vividly when I worked in IT. There were people there that had worked in companies for years and they knew so much And they would not pass on the information to anybody else because they thought, well, if I pass it on to somebody else, I won't be as important. Or heaven forbid, I might even lose my job because someone else might be able to do it better than me. So they hoarded all this information about these systems. They were known um, as a key man risk. One person held all the information and they were a point of failure because if they got sick or they got knocked over by a bus or something like that, everything would fall apart. And they loved being that person. But God's kingdom should not be like that. Oh, we can be like that. We can think we are indispensable, but really, nobody is. And we should be sharing what we do in the church with others so that the work can carry on. Pride can be massaged, can't it, when we hold on to things. People can think that we're really important if we know stuff that nobody else knows. But we should humble ourselves and have a mind like Christ, who spent his whole ministry on earth passing on to those disciples who would carry the work of the church on when he went back to heaven. We need to be willing sometimes to let go. Sometimes people can't do things as well as you can. But in order for them to grow, we need to allow them to serve. Now this is not to say that we need people to stop serving God in certain areas and give up and pass it on to the young people because we're too old now. But it's to say we should share it. Sharing it isn't just giving it over and not doing anything. Sharing it is showing what you do, how you do it, and passing that on and sharing it with them. I remember growing up, the church in Ivy Bridge were wonderful at this for me. There were many people in that church that passed on what they did so that I could serve God in different areas. When I first started, I messed up loads, but they let me, they taught me, they passed on the battle, and I'm here today able to serve God here because there were people willing to serve with me there. And we need that same ministry here, don't we? A ministry of passing things on. But also, like Phineas, some of us need to be zealous for the Lord and step up to the plate and take that baton from others. Jesus did not come to be served, but to serve. And we should have that same attitude of wanting to serve God in the church. Some of us perhaps need to be a bit more proactive and look for ways to serve God, rather than waiting around for us to be asked. So find ways of serving God. Work alongside people who are serving God. And let's work together to serve the kingdom of God here in Pelsul and further afield. Because look what happens when the baton is not passed on. Joshua's generation served the Lord, but the next book in the Bible is Judges. If you turn a few pages to Judges chapter 2, we read in chapter 2 verses 10 and 11, these words of warning, haunting words for what happens when that baton is not passed on. It says, after that whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors, another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served the Baals. You know, the church is just one generation away from dying out, isn't it? This church is just one generation from dying out. And we need to have a longer term vision than just here and now. We need to be passing on the baton and stepping up to the plate and taking it on and serving God together. Well this final burial in verse 32 appears to be really strange. Look at verse 32. Let's read it. It says, And Joseph's bones, which the Israelites had brought up from Egypt, were buried at Shechem in the tract of land that Jacob bought for a hundred pieces of silver from the sons of Hamor, the father of Shechem. This became the inheritance of Joseph's descendants. What on earth is this doing here? Well, it's here in, to firstly show the fulfillment of a promise. In Genesis chapter 50 and verse 25, we read these words. And Joseph made the Israelites swear on oath and said, God will surely come to your aid, and then you must carry my bones up from this place. The next verse in Genesis tells us that he was embalmed, so none of his bones got lost. And his bones stayed in Egypt until the Exodus. In Exodus chapter 13 and verse 9, we read as they were about to leave Egypt, Moses took the bones of Joseph with him because Joseph had made the Israelites swear an oath. He had said, God will surely come to your aid and then you must carry my bones up with you from this place. God came to their aid with the Exodus and Moses carried out that promise to Joseph. His bones were taken And they were carried, and all they were carried, it seems, all through the wilderness, all through the conquest. And finally, at the end of the book of Joshua, when this conquest is complete, Joseph has his bones buried. Well, what's the meaning of all this? Well, let's dig a bit deeper. You know, the story of Joseph is one of the most well-known stories in the Bible, not least perhaps because of Andrew Lloyd Webber. But if I asked you, tell me the the highlights of the story of Joseph. You could probably tell me he was Jacob's favorite son. He made his brothers jealous. He had dreams that his brothers and his father and mother would bow down to him. You would tell me he was sold as a slave to Egypt. How he was uh, placed uh, in the house of Potiphar and and then he was forced into prison because he was falsely accused of trying to be with Potiphar's wife. You may tell me that God was with him in Egypt and led him through all of this. That while he was in prison, he was able to interpret the dreams of the butler and the baker. If you remember, the baker was going to die, and he did, and the butler was going to live, and he did. But they forgot about Joseph in prison until Pharaoh had his dreams. And the butler remembered, ah, Joseph. Joseph. He could interpret dreams and the pharaoh called Joseph and Joseph interpreted the dreams of pharaoh about the seven years of plenty and the seven years of famine and then he was made prime minister of all Egypt and people from all over the world came to gather food from where Joseph had stored it during the years of plenty. You may remember how he forgave his brothers of all they had done for him because he knew that it was God who had sent him to save them from the famine that was in the land of Canaan. And so if I was to ask you what one uh, part of the story of Joseph, what one uh, part of his faith is mentioned in the New Testament, what part of that story would you say? There is one part mentioned, and it's in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 22. Hebrews eleven twenty-two says this is the one thing that's mentioned about him. By faith Joseph, when he, his end was near, spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt, And gave instructions concerning the burial of his bones. Of all the things in the story of Joseph that could be mentioned in the New Testament, there's one thing his burial of his bones. Amazing, isn't it? What was the faith? What was it about this bury my bones in Canaan that was so important? Well, what was the faith? Notice what Joseph believed would happen. God will surely come to your aid he said Joseph believed in that promise of God that was passed down from his grandfather Abraham his uh, sorry his great grandfather Abraham his grandfather Isaac his father Jacob he believed that they were going to receive the land that God had promised them he knew as wonderful as it was perhaps for him in Egypt as prime minister that's not where he belonged he knew his home was in the land of promise. Joseph was a high-ranking official, second only to Pharaoh, in a land that were experts in burials. They had necropolises, cities of the dead. They had the pyramids. He could have had any burial he wanted, but he said, no, I want to be buried in the land of Canaan. I want my bones to be taken there. And through the whole time they were in Egypt, that time of slavery, the bones of Joseph were a reminder This is not where we belong. We're going to the land of promise. And God did come to their aid. They were now in the promised land. And Joseph's bones were a reminder that God keeps his promises to his people. That this Egypt is not where we will stay. We will be in the promised land. You see, death reminds us to look to the future we have after death because we too need to have that faith that Joseph had. We need to look beyond this life, because God has come to our aid. The exodus from Egypt is but a picture of our exodus, from slavery to sin, to eternal life, because God has come to our aid in sending Jesus Christ, who has died, who was buried, who was risen from the dead for our sins. And when we place our faith and our trust in Jesus, we have that promise of eternal life in heaven. And like Joseph, our bones won't remain here either, because when Jesus returns, our bodies will be raised, and we'll have a new body, which will be in the promised land. Our bones won't be remaining here, they will be with the Lord too. We have that same promise, don't we, that Joseph had. Joseph knew where his home was. One writer says that it was not until the Exodus that Joseph's bones were actually taken to Canaan. But his heart and his hope had always been there. His heart and his hope had always been there. And this should be true for us too. Our hearts and our hope should be where our citizenship is. And Paul writes, our citizenship is in heaven. By giving instructions regarding his bones, Joseph identified himself with Canaan, not with Egypt, despite his high position. We should not lose sight of the wonderful future that our God has for us. Whether this life is going well or going badly, our home, our citizenship is in heaven. And as Paul wrote, in Philippians 1.21, as we read earlier, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Let's look forward. Let death remind us of the wonderful future we have in Christ. Let's keep serving Christ. Let's keep passing on the baton. Let's keep looking forwards. Let's keep looking upwards until Christ calls us home. Let's close with singing before we have the Lord's table. We'll stand together and we're going to sing, our Church Arise. Let us stand as a church, let us rise, let us commit to living for the Lord Jesus Christ together.